Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 29th of February 2012. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios for free download there. And hopefully you'll start to understand the system that runs the world and where it's going because it really is in your face today if you've got half an eye open. And um, they aren't really messing about so much. People are unfortunately so mesmerized by television that they've become part of television almost themselves. They think in a, in a, almost a hypnotic state. That's how they are most of the time. And, uh, fantasy fills their heads. And that's when the big boys can go ahead and get this, what they call a new world order, a new order of things, many terms for the same thing, uh, into place. And it's, it's really coming out now big time under austerity measures and sustainability and wellness uh, for children and government stepping in to teach them what wellness is, which has nothing to do with what you would think it actually meant. So I go into the histories of this on the website and give you a lot of the big players who helped plan this particular part of the system we're living through today. Uh, they wrote lots of books about where they were taking the world. And it's all been done as we live. In fact, it's astonishing to realize a lot of these people have died. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of new ones, of course, working on the next 100 and 150, 200 years as we speak. So big organizations, foundations, all founded by the big international bankers, set up the system of 100 odd years ago, and they've pretty well pulled it off. The next little nudge is to get us all working like little coolies in the fields and pretending that we're all happy in little communities. So go into the, the website, as I say, help yourselves. Remember, too, you can help me out by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check, or you can use an international postal money order, or PayPal, and some people send cash. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And what I do here is not to give you astonishing things to take your imagination off into outer space or anything like that. I just tell you the straight hard facts. And lots of folk don't like that. They've been so trained through entertainment that they must enjoy education. It must be like, like, like the History Channel or something like that, or all the nature programs on television. They've been trained that, that that's, that's real education when it's being, you're being entertained with it, even though the History Channel uh, puts an awful lot of nonsense out there as a revamp it history once again. And reality is pretty cruel. It's, it's even more cruel when you realize that most people are the victims of the cruelty, the vast majority, who haven't a clue. They're being manipulated so easily with scientists at the top. Neuroscientists, uh, uh, psycholinguistics, neurolinguistics, all of these different skills are out in the forefront now through all media to bring you all to the proper conclusions you understand and to train you 
uh, for a not so happy future they're bringing in. Although they wave their hands a lot, like these these um these guys who teach you all the, the different secrets to success, for instance, wave their hands a lot on platforms and, and tell you how wonderful it's going to be. But in reality, of course, they're not talking about themselves. They are not going to be down in the fields working with you under austerity. They want you to be happy doing it. They're going to train you to do so as well. And that's really where we are today. Every country in the world, when you just scour the net, for instance, in the media, is pushing this exact same agenda at the same time, all the parts of it at the same time. And every popular, um, every country has its own popular uh, media-created star for wildlife, etc. And they're also working towards the same agenda of depopulating the public and getting you to dehumanize yourselves so she won't think too much about mass abortion on its way. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Quite some years ago, I remember reading an article from the Council on Foreign Relations uh, about them having to bring in uh, a lot more celebrities. And they'd also bring in celebrities from acting and music, whatever. And they would be part of the big soft power, as they call it, soft power, where they send them across the world as, as ambassadors for this new world order, you see. And, uh, uh, and they would convince people, because people follow the stars. That's how dumb we are, you see. Even though you can't see many today with all the chem sprays in the, in, in the skies. But anyway, uh, part of it too was to bring in uh, the big philanthropists, you see. Big philanthropy. And you have to go into the histories of the philanthropists and you'll find out that they're actually all eugenicists. Because that's where their cash went to. When they started up the Eugenic Society for Britain and America and other countries. And big, big players... Um, now their, their children are coming out and pushing the same stuff under a very well-disguised agenda, mind you. And it ties in with this wellness thing for across the world, just love everybody and everybody will love you and, and go back to the dirt. There's no mention, of course, in their talks of being left alone to go back to the dirt, whatever. We could all have gone back to the dirt, but the government won't let you. They tax you for the dirt, and you've got to produce from the dirt, etc. The, the basic things like that, you see. But that's not the point of it all. I say philanthropists uh, and uh, the celebrities are out in force across the world. Some of them are disguised, uh, again, as professors of ethics, bioethics, things like that. They make them celebrities for television and radio. In fact, tonight I put a link up on the professor, a singer that uh, I mentioned yesterday, who uh, was given the privilege of talking to children across Australia about cannibalism and, you know, human-animal sex and stuff like that, you see. These wonderful ethicists. Quite an interesting character, though, because he's been well, well well-funded from his youth, actually, this character, to do his job that that he's doing now. And he was made to be a celebrity star by getting him on television and getting him on radio. And, of course, you see the audiences sitting there with their mouths open as he prattles off with a little smile on his face, and then they burst into laughter when he brings up sex with animals and things like that. But don't forget, this is a real movement, because two professors in Canada in 2001 came out after the international census Conference they had for the for the world, 
all your different uh, uh, sensor departments that come up for you think are taking care of what you're going to see in television or your children, they met and they decided that they'd won the war for homosexuality uh, in the media and in entertainment. Now it was time to push for for uh, intergenerational sex, which means pedophilia, and also uh, animal and human uh, sex as well. And two professors stood up the next day after this conference, one in the U.S., one in Canada, and I'm sure it's the same speech they gave in the papers uh, about the same thing. So this is a, a real a real agenda that you're laughing your silly little heads at, you understand? And when you go into the history of people like Singer, you'll find out too that he he doesn't believe you are human until you're about three years of age. He's very clever, very fast on his feet for a dancer, you see. And he he will actually come out on side, it seems to be coming out on the sides of people who are against abortion. What he says is true, because these guys know it's true since they brought abortion in. Well, you know, it's not a real person, etc. It's in the womb, it's not born. But as he says, a conception starts right away and everything is there. At what, what point, what, what added cell do you want before you say it's an actual person? But then he, he goes and does 180 degrees and says, but you're not really a person until you're three years of age. Does that tie in again with something else you've heard recently about, you know, infanticide being pushed? Quite interesting, isn't it? But in the U.S., if you go into the, and tonight I'll put that up and go into Wikipedia as well, and you'll see his origins. His origins are important, and um, a very familiar tale he tells about himself and his parents. Anyway, um, philanthropy, of course, is a big push. As I say, the, the better types, as Mr. Rockefeller said, the, the bankers and intelligentsia, academia, should be the ones to guide the world instead of leaving it to uh, the willy-nilly uh, aspirations of individual nations. That was the whole. That's to paraphrase them, basically. So f- philanthropists would be out in force and they'd guide the world. They'd guide it by getting laws pushed, pushed through your governments. Now, you don't vote these philanthropists in you don't vote their non-governmental organizational armies in either that lobby governments. And the government never turns around to the public and asks them what they think about anything. So that's how they're running the world. Tonight I'll put one link. It's only one of many. It's called Learning for Wellbeing, a Policy Priority for Children and Youth in Europe. And it's uh, it's been held, I think, yesterday. But anyway, in Brussels. But it says, The Learning for Wellbeing Consortium of Foundations in Europe in partnership with Eurochild, we've got Eurochildren now, you see, the European Foundation Centre and the Kalust uh, Gulbenkian Foundation is pleased to invite you to a full-day conference to launch the policy glossary Learning for Wellbeing, a policy priority for children and youth in Europe, a movement for change. So they're change agents again. But again, it ties in with many other celebrities that are being brought out in front of the public, including a lot of them who are actually the descendants uh, or the inheritors of daddy's fortunes in big corporations, international corporations, in all areas, in fact, pushing the same agenda under slightly different guises, but it's the same agenda, down to austerity, the vegetarian uh, solutions, etc., and living with less. All, all of the stuff that the governments worldwide are pushing for sustainability, and, and it's quite amazing to see them all come out across the whole world, Dozens and dozens and dozens of these organizations at the same time. And nobody's linking them all together. Nobody is linking them all together. 
And that's how they do it. But remember, entertainment, and when you, when you laugh your silly jaws off at a guy who's sitting there with power in Australia to influence government and, and, and school policies promoting what he's promoting, you should not be laughing at all. That's not a laughing matter. Remember that the mind has no firewall. Remember that. And you are very easily influenced. They know exactly how to turn your thoughts 180 degrees. And meanwhile, you haven't even reasoned through one problem for yourself. They have helped you do it all for you. You see? Remember that. Very interesting. And also, linking in with that too, it's an article I mentioned, it's touched on yesterday, it's called Global Dimming for Dim Environmentalists from the Sovereign Independence. I'll put this up tonight and you can go through it about all the aerial spring. There's a good little, uh, it's a beauty of a little phrase here from Marshall McLuhan, who was a mass media technocrat, as they call him, and the so-called expert in the 50s, 60s. And he came out with the, the medium as a, as a message, even though it really was um, intended to be that they change it to the massage because there was French people involved and actually printed it up as a massage, which fit in actually with his theory and massages you as well. But it's also the media is the message. Whatever message is coming across from the media is not a normal way of transmission or transmitting anything. So you're being fed uh, an artificial systems uh, thought pattern, you might say. But he says, only the small secrets need to be protected. This is talking about government. He says, the big ones are kept secret by public incredulity. It's just like what I'm telling you tonight. He's a guy laughing about having sex with animals, and you're all laughing along with him. He's dead serious. He's got power. He's teaching this in school. And a lot more beyond that. And you're all laughing your silly heads off. The rest are kept secret by public incredulity. You won't believe it. Oh, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's been done your whole life. So you better start thinking about that. As I say, too, you go into these big families who funded um, eugenics, and they're still at it today, funding the same uh, foundations in eugenics in America. A lot of food companies are at it, too, by the way. I could go further, but I won't. Anyway, here's another way they twist your head. And most folk will hear people who are economists start prattling off their nonsense. And it's half voodoo anyway. But anyway, they'll twist your head 180 degrees. Because you give up trying to keep up with the strange path they're taking or convince you of. And you just give up. So here's food tax. Adding general sales tax, which is value-added tax in Canada, to food will benefit the poor. So putting more taxes on food is going to benefit the poor, economists say, you see. Two Canadian economists are urging Ottawa to take a politically risky stand of adding the GST, which is a value-added tax, on currently exempt items, including food. They say the tax would help the poor, while the current exemption adds to the income disparity by benefiting the well-off. See how they twist you right round, and before you read a paragraph, your head is spinning. That's, that's a trick of all. But the idea of putting the sales tax on food angers advocates who say it would unfairly hurt low-income Canadians, further divide Canadians and make as much sense as taxing the air. Shh, don't say that because they're going to. Michael Smart yep, of the University of Toronto and Jack Mintz 
head of the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, says tax reform, if done properly, would actually help all Canadians boost government coffers and spur economic activity. Now, the government, and these characters know this, have been for the last 20-odd years putting all of your industry over to China, right? They know that. That's a fact. They're in university there. And they know we're now international with all the free trade agreements we've got as well. So any cash coming in to Canada is going to go overseas and aid and everything else or for wars. And it's going to do nothing to spur economic activity. How do you spur economic activity at home when you make it impossible for, for manufacturers and even small manufacturers to stay in Canada and produce? But that's how they do it to you. So taxing your food. And I tell you, if the public in Canada accept that, I'm off. I'll find some island in the Pacific somewhere because they'll deserve what they get. We're going to tax your food, you slaves. <laughs> Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix Bringing reality into perspective for those with a bit of a memory And two years ago, for instance, China has been, since two years ago, probably been before China's been buying up farmland across the world, big time across Africa elsewhere But um, two years ago in Australia, the same thing was happening And Senator Bill Heffernan brought it out to the public too, he says that the Chinese government is buying Australian farms to directly feed its population, a senior liberal said on the eve of a visit by a top Beijing official. The purchases were un- unmonitored and did not have to be approved by the Foreign Investment Review Board, Senator Bill Heffernan told Parliament. Now, a, the Foreign Investment Review Board came out of a, a meeting in the 90s, and it was called something else then, I can't remember. It's all kept secret for a few years until someone discovered that every country had an ambassador meeting in, in France at the time, working full-time on this free this international investment uh, thing, where any country could invest in your country, bring their own labor in, and even pay them um, substandard wages, for instance. And if you, you said you can't do that, so once you signed it, if you said, if you, oh, you can't do that, then they could take you to the World Trade Organization and sue you for millions of dollars, and you had to pay up. But that was done quietly in the 90s. So anyway, now they've got foreign investment review boards all over the place that are just to be just rubber stamp all the requests that they get. And the distortion has occurred in the Sydney home market because of being off the FIRB's radar could happen with agricultural land. And this article is not too bad. I'll put it up tonight. And it says here that um, said uh, farm buy-ups were not referred to the FIRB unless they were worth more than $320 million. So anything under $320 million, no one had to tell them they were buying it or, or selling it to China. You see? But back in the 1930s, when the international meetings of the Royal Institute of International Affairs took place, sometimes they put these books under the British Empire, or the future of the British Empire, for those who don't know. And um, the Council on Foreign Relations attendees were all there from America too, in 1937-38 in Australia, and they said that uh, eventually they'd raise up China to be a manufacturer for the world, and eventually China would be the superpower down the road. They said America will, will lead it for a while, 
it would come to the fore, it would fail, it would come to the fore and fail. I guess that's like Vietnam and back out and smash everybody and, and retreat again. And eventually they'd have their final failing and due to bankruptcies basically and China would take over. That was the 1930s. So here's all this whole free trade thing. Of course, it just came out of nowhere, you think, and uh, uh, and they're buying up land all over the place. So they're buying a lot of land up too, farmland up in New Zealand as well. And while this is all going on, this current topic today uh, is, is uh, about Australia again, because you see, we're still, because of the World Trade Organization and the free trade agreements we made with them, most favored uh, trading nation uh, status, uh, we have to fund them indefinitely, even though they're raking more cash in than any other country on the planet, we have to keep uh, funding them because they're still classed under this law as a third world country. This part's about the Australian government and how much money they're given to it. So it's the Australian government through the Australian Agency for International Development, USAID it's called, has provided almost 30 years of development assistance to China. USAID continues to work in partnerships with China to build on these achievements and provide expertise to help China in its development reform agenda. So it's in governments, government, or governance, they call it again here, environments and health. We're building hospitals. We're all paying for this stuff. Canada's doing it. The U.S. is doing it. Britain's doing it. We're all paying for China's, uh, for the stuff they should be providing for themselves. And for 30 years, we've been doing it. And other countries are doing it through the Overseas Economic Development Fund, which is attached to the IMF. In other words, they get loans, the countries get loans from the, from, from the World Bank, and the IMF supposedly distributes the money to China, and then if they, they can't pay it, then they come back on us as guarantors, and we pay up the difference. Wonderful deal, isn't it? Most people don't even know what their countries are doing. And never have known either. Never have known what it's all about. So anyway, and by the way, when China's term of 20, 30 years is up for not um, paying uh, taxes and so, and so on, uh, they can apply to the World Trade Organization for another 10, 20, 30 years if they want to. That's how it's worded. And they can pollute as much as they want. Scrap unilateral carbon tax hike manufacturers urge. says, Britain's manufacturers are urging government to abandon plans to double the UK's unilateral carbon tax in the forthcoming budget. Now, as I say, all they want is with any tax is to get it on the books. And always give you a very low figure, and then they double it before the year's out. You know, and that's how it goes. That's how, that's how these con men play us so easily. So anyway, it's going, to, it's going to widen the competitiveness gap between the UK and European industrial electricity prices. According to the EEF, the manufacturers' organisation, if the government continues with its current price trajectory, this will double the rate of carbon price support levied on fossil fuels. I keep saying fossil fuels. Used for power generation from £4.94 per tonne of CO2 you know, to around £10 per tonne in 2014 and 15. Instead, EEF is calling government to stick to the original estimate price for 2014 of £7.28 per tonne. must be a great business that, you know, if you were the guy like, like the Rothschilds have their private bank in Switzerland where all this carbon taxing and money is to go through, and they'll make billions overnight just in like, fast investments, you know. I mean, you don't even need a warehouse to put it in. It's just, you know, stick your finger in the air like everything else that they do. That's how they fix the price of gold, Rothschilds, you know. Finger in the air and uh, charge the money and get the politicians to make it law. Great job, eh? 
Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about internationalism and many of the the organizations that were created to deal with internationalism uh, and investments in other countries, etc. But uh, this, we're hitting it all today. I mean, they're, they're selling off roads to foreign uh, owners in Britain uh, without the permission of the British taxpayer who basically funded all the payments to make those roads in the first place. But what's new, eh? In the U.S., Congress set to hand our highways and freeways over to foreign corporations. New toll roads are planned for all 50 states. Since efforts to parcel off and sell out entire sectors of America's infrastructure to foreign interests continues daily. H.R. 7, the bill at issue here, would put tolls on roads American taxpayers funded and paid for and which they continue to fund through gasoline taxes diverted to the Transportation and Highway Trust account at the International Monetary Fund. Of course, that trust fund, just like Social Security, has been raided continually by the federal government since its inception, leaving a negative balance for that particular identified revenue stream. The money the federal government invested in the original construction of these highways and freeways was garnered from individual taxes and was not taken from some non-existent private account owned by the Fed. The Fed has no money of its own. H.R. 7 will effectively end a right to travel freely by making the cost of travel so expensive that we won't travel. And it's right on because, you see, under austerity, and I've said this so many times, uh, for even for years now, uh, that um, you, won't, you won't have extra cash to pay for You'll be living in poverty. Austerity means living very frugally and impoverished. That's what it means. Look it up. And all your spending money you've got now, uh, with everything going up in price too, uh, all your spending money, extra spending money, uh, won't go to what you might want to buy. It'll go towards bare essentials. That's why fuel and energy, everything is skyrocketing. It's all part of the international program of sustainability, for those who don't know. And this article two, two is to do with Canada. And I mentioned before about the foundations got in on the act to do with the tar sands in Canada, uh, all these foreign companies to try and kill it off. And now it has to get transported off to China instead. But anyway, instead of going to the States, but how the Rockefeller Fund killed Keystone. Now, they weren't the only organization in on it, but they weren't in the biggies. President Obama's recent decision to deny a permit for the Keystone XL oil pipeline was widely hailed on the environmental left. Particularly exuberant was the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, RBF, which declared on its website that the decision came against great political odds and the deep-pocketed backing of the oil industry. This is from some guys to talk that still own all the branches of a different named Standard Oil, eh? The specter of oil industry money and its nefarious influence in politics was a familiar environmental chalking point. What the fund did not acknowledge was that its own deep-pocketed backing for environmental groups had a far more decisive impact on Obama's decision to cancel the pipeline project. 
Earlier this month, the Canadian news channel Sun News uncovered a PowerPoint presentation by the Rockefeller Brothers Fund that lays bare its strategy of funding a host of environmental groups to thwart the Keystone XL pipeline, as well as other development projects that the fund considered a globally significant threat. According to investigative reporter Lachlan Markey, the 2008 presentation describes allocation of $7 million to environmental non-profits, that's their NGOs, for tactics that include the use of legislative and legal systems to delay or derail energy production in the U.S. and Canada. Shall I read that last bit again for the harder thinking? $7 million to environmental non-profit Profit groups for tactics that include the use of leg- legislative and legal systems to delay or derail energy production in the United States and Canada, and to raise the costs of energy in both nations. Well, they're certainly doing that as well. That's part of the agenda. Instead of having plenty of energy, no, this reduces it and up it goes. That's the big world agenda to bring you down to austerity. So it says. It's um, also featured uh, presentations from Rockefeller Brothers Fund Program Officer Michael Northrop, interesting name, Northrop Company, big uh, up in the industry, as well as the representatives of several environmental groups, among them Corporate Ethics International, Corporate Ethics, eh? the Natural Resource Defense Council, and the Pembina Institute, a Canadian activist group. Together, these groups would emerge at the forefront of an alarmist scare campaign that ultimately led to Keystone's cancellation. Tax records examined by the Daily Caller show that between 2007 and 2010, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund gave $1.25 million to Portland, Oregon-based Corporate Ethics International, an environmental group whose declared mission is to bring corporations under the control of the citizenry. Well, that will never happen. And neither do these, these Rockefeller Brothers expect it to happen either. They don't want that. They want control over it all. A description of the grant by the RBF says that the money was intended to coordinate the initial steps of markets campaigns to stem demand for tar sands derived fuels in the U.S. A reference to the Keystone pipelines, which would have transported oil from the tar sands near Alberta, Canada to the U.S. Gulf Coast. To prevent this from happening in July 2010, Corporate Ethics International began a campaign urging American and British visitors to steer clear of Alberta during their travels as long as tar sands exploration was in progress. Considering that Alberta's tourism industry generates $5 billion in annual revenues, the anti-Keystone campaign targeted the lifeblood of the province. And it goes on with lots of more more money that was involved in it, over $181 million in the assets of the Defence Council uh, in 2010. $181 million to fight. And you think you, you can do something with your vote? or complaining to government. These, you're dealing with multi-trillionaires here, these big foundation boys who own more corporations across the planet you can shake a stick at. Anyway, as I say, it's not to be a, a world for the people anyway. It's to be a world for the corporate giants. And they will give you your new philosophies to live austerely uh, as they rule your lives and give you a penny's worth of gas here and there, if you're lucky. The U.S. is still throwing money across the world. Jai Street applauds record aid appropriations to Israel. And it says um, Jeremy Ben-Ami applauded the inclusion of $3.75 billion in aid to Israel in the government spending bill for FY2012. Well, they've been working on that for a while because Israel sent a delegation across when they thought America was broke. 
months ago to make sure they, they got their cuts as usual. And it's just astonishing the money that we're throwing across the world, as I say, keeping China afloat, uh, building hospitals for them, even building their energy systems for them, including nuclear. And Canada's got a big hand in that, under cash as well. And i talking about dehumanization, how we're all getting dehumanized. And uh, as I say, you start with uh, aborting children, and then you end up with the elderly and euthanasia, and then you take it on from there. Now they want to kill folk who are just depressed in, in Holland, even teenagers. And um, that's the way it's all to go. De- the dehumanization of life. Remember, as I said yesterday, Julian Huxley talked about this when he was head of the UNESCO, United Nations Educational uh, Department or whatever. They're the ones who also go across the world demanding they'll take the different shots that, they, that make them sterile. But uh, Julian Huxley said that we must knock man off his pedestal as a supreme uh, being on the planet and bring him down to the level of animals. And we've gone that way. Society's had it as far as I'm concerned. It really has. It's lost all moral values because you've all been listening unwarily perhaps to these bioethicists for years on television who warp your brain for you. As his minister praises plan to heat a swimming pool from fires of crematorium. A money-saving plan to heat a swimming pool with energy from a cremation of dead bodies has been backed by a senior government minister, it says here. As Sir George Young, leader of the House of Commons, said the proposal to warm a Worcestershire leisure centre with heat from a nearby crematorium was a groundbreaking scheme. He said the government is considering whether the plan could be duplicated elsewhere in Britain. See, we're just, we're just fuel now, you see. And shortly you'll see Mr. Singer's cannibalism come in because, yeah, you will, you will get to your soylent green, all you book people, the mass, the vast majority out there. You little soylent green bars you get. The government is aware of this particular scheme. He says, the Department of Energy and Climate, you've got the Department of Energy and Climate Change. It's all combined now, eh? will shortly be publishing its heat strategy, and this will explore the potential for better recovery and reuse of wasted heat in schemes such as this one. He had that he would die a happier man if he knew heat from his crematorium was warming the waters of a local pool. What a liar, eh? Redditch Borough Council will be the first authority in the county or the country to use a crematorium to heat a swimming pool, and work has already begun on the project, which is expected to be completed this spring. Since the plans were approved in February last year, they've won an award from the Green Organization. It's so green, you see. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that, you feel all, all fuzzy and warm, eh? That nice? Also, when I put up uh, an article tonight, it's to do with um, the NSA. And it's from the NSA, and it gives you quite a bit of their history and here how they started off. And then it goes into their modern um, spy systems of spying on all of us. And where that's all going to, to do is going as well and what it's all for and all the money that they get, etc. As they con us into the need to spy on you. One little victory is, is maybe coming along is, um, it says, uh, Vermont has recently introduced bills H722 requiring labeling of foods containing genetically engineered ingredients. Such products would also be prohibited from using advertising or promotional material that states or implies that the food is natural. If, if the bill passes, the bill will take effect in 2014. 
Other U.S. states pushing for mandatory labeling of genetically modified foods include California, Michigan, and Washington. Mandatory labeling of GM foods is becoming even more important to counteract laws that prevent anti-GMO efforts. So far, 14 states have passed laws to protect the unabated expansion of GM seed use. Pending legislation in Michigan now also seeks to prohibit local governments from passing ordinances that impede or prohibit the use of GM seeds of all kinds. So things are rolling on ahead, and I hope they get it through, and I hope at least they're honest with it, the governments, that is, if they do get it through, because it's very hard to get rid of GM, generally uh, engineered seed too. It's all going through the same machinery, you know, and plants and factories, and it's spread from farm to farm as well, uh, because they often use the same combine harvesters. You can't totally clean them out. Then you end up spreading over somebody else's farm. Now, Obama wants to thank the military by tripling his TRICARE premiums for their insurance. That's his thanks to the boys who went off to fight the war to plunder for the international corporations more and more oil, gold, uh, and, and water and everything else that they want over over there. That's the thank you you get. President Barack Obama began and ended his State of the Union address in January by heaping lavish praise upon the men and women of the military. He used words like courage, selflessness, and teamwork to describe their ability to bravely accomplish each mission he'd set for them. The war in Iraq's over. Osama bin Laden is dead. Troops are coming home from Afghanistan. So now in a show of thanks, the President wants to gradually triple their TRICARE premiums. Triple it. It says, TRICARE, according to his website, is the health care program serving uniformed service members, retirees, and their families worldwide. The administration's admitted objective to Congress, as reported by the Washington Free Beacon, is to force military retirees to reduce their involvement in TRICARE and eventually opt out of the program in favor of alternatives established by the 2010 Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. So by tripling it, he's hoping you all leave it, you see, and go into his uh, dumbed-down version of, of uh, health care. That's what it's about. Under the new plan, TRICARE, uh, TRICARE annual premiums will increase 30% to 78% in the first year. And after that, the plan more than triples the premium payments in five-year increases, ranging from 94% to 345%. So there's an incentive for to get out of it, you see, and go on to his cheap care idea. The big corporation that's got the contract will eventually get it and be laughing. Now, again, to thank the troops as well. This article here says Pentagon 9-11 victims' remains went to a landfill. That's, thank you very much. And it says, um, uh, partial remains of some victims of the 11th September attacks ended up in a landfill, a Pentagon report has found, meaning they've had it all the time. Some small portions of unidentified remains from the Pentagon and from Pennsylvania Field, where a hijacked plane crashed 2001, were given to a private contractor for disposal. The fragments could not be tested or identified, the review said. The disposal came to light as the U.S. Defense Department probed practices at the military's Dover Port Mortuary. Their base at Dover in the state of Delaware is the main point of entry to the U.S. for the bodies of troops killed while serving overseas. However, an investigation by the Washington Post newspaper uncovered evidence that unidentified body parts were being cremated and disposed of in a landfill. The practice of putting partial identified remains in landfill was stopped in 2008. 
President Barack Obama was briefed on the probe and supports plans to ensure these types of incidents never happen again, the White House said. And that's one of them. And then the next one, Dover Air Base dumped 274 U.S. troops remains at a landfill. And uh, it says the Washington Post report was based on data from Dover Air Force Base, the main entry port for U.S. war dead. And the newspaper first broke the story last month, but it was not known on how many remains were dumped at landfills. And families who had agreed for remains to be disposed of respectively were unaware of the practice. Pentagon officials did not authorize the procedure, which was reported by whistleblowers. And Air Force officers, uh, who officials who had de- denied a cover-up, said last month they could not estimate the precise number of casualties remains sent to Virginia landfill. And it's quite something. They even told... Some of these get mortuary workers or whoever they were, maybe they were the guys who, who dug the, the, the graves, to cut off the, the arm of one of these uh, soldiers so they could put on the, his uniform as his, as his people had demanded, you see. And then, I, I don't know if they could put him in the, in the fill as well or not, but that's what you get for serving your country, in your country. You're going to get nothing. You aren't going to get any share in all companies off of this. You aren't going to get shares in the gold mines. Or anything else? No. Nope. You just get to pretend that you're in the movies for a while. Only in the movies that you don't get blown to pieces, you know. It's always the bad guys that get blown to pieces. Uh, in Scotland, which doesn't have a big population at all, uh, they're starting to go back to the 1950s levels of welfare benefits. And the first one to go is Western Bartonshire. So it'll lose £10 million from benefit change. The economy in Western Bartonshire is set to take a £10 million hit when people are forced off benefits. Just force them off benefits. Cut, that's it. Doesn't matter. And if, you, if you're disabled or whatever, you've got to really prove to a very prejudicial uh, panel now that you are sick. Just like the 1950s. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and uh, talking about Scotland. Scotland, which is really going ahead in austerity, of course, and you shouldn't really be disabled anymore because they're really taking the cash away. You have to go back in front of these big panels of people who look very severely at you. And uh, and just like the old miners' idea, there was no such thing as black lung, didn't exist until after they closed all the mines. Yes, it did. It always exists, yeah. Before that, no guys were dying left, right and centre and coughing their lungs up, and we're getting nothing at all. Well, they're going back to that level in Scotland, and this particular area, Dumbartonshire, West Dumbartonshire, is leading the, the way with the new laws. Now let's go across the whole country very quickly too. Also to mention Scotland, I mean, say Scotland's got a small population, uh, and this, uh, this is Darwinian, actually. It's actually Darwinian, this article I'm going to read you. It says, the total cost of prescribing methadone in Scotland surpasses £28 million for 2011. I've said this, the biggest dispenser of drugs is your own, own government. And um, at one time, nobody uh, was on methadone. Nobody was on methadone. And, of course, once they came up with that, Big Pharma applied the government's 
uh, that, oh, this is a good substitute for heroin and different things. And, and they got all the contracts to, to plug their own particular type of, of drug. And they've addicted so many folk to it, they just can't get off it. And if you really want to get them off it, you just cut them off it. That's how you do it. You take them into clinics and you cut them off it. No substitute, nothing. That's how you get off it. Heroin's the same way too. But no, they keep them pampered and keep them because they want this. And it's big bucks for pharmaceutical agencies too, since the government's guaranteed to prescribe this kind of stuff every year. So it says methadone prescribing has reached a new high with the total cost of providing the heroin substitute totaling more than £28 million last year. Figures for 2011 show there were a record number of 533,733 prescriptions issued for methadone oral solution. The reason I say it's Darwin, you see, Darwin said that there are culture that um, if they have no access to keep up with uh, advanced civilization, will turn in on themselves and self-destruct. This is part of it. The same thing happened with the American Indians. They knew that too. They drink themselves often to death, unfortunately. And it happens in some uh, areas in, in Africa too. Uh, and this is what happens now because, you see, we're all defunct. Our usefulness is over. We're all awfully good, you see, as long as they could recruit you for the military, for their wars, for their big corporations. But uh, they don't really need you anymore. And they've got all these Chinese coolies doing all the, the laboring work uh, that we once went through in Scotland and uh, and locked children up in factories and stuff like that. Same thing in China. And so they don't need you anymore. So they want you just to be blotto with booze or, or, or just spaced right out on methadone. And it's, a, it's an awful scourge. It's government created, by the way. And if they had wanted to stop heroin com- coming into the country, they would have stopped it. They ain't getting smuggled in in little, little condoms of folks swallowing it, believe you me. This stuff comes in big time by the big boys. Same in every country. And America must have an incredible bill because I know they, they dish out methadone all over the place there. That's, you know, it's the way you do it. George Orwell mentioned it too. You could always get to, uh, the cheap booze in depressed nations. And they either give you the booze or they'll give you the drug instead. And this is how it's all coming down, as they kill more and more folk off. Because people, the purpose for living for people has been taken away from them. Taken away. Including the belief that human life is important. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, as good night to me, your God or your God's school with you.